0: I mentioned last week uh, that uh, really there's a a structure to uh, the passage. You get the exaltation, not just at the end, but at the beginning. And the central uh, kind of uh, five parts, but central uh, is really the atonement of really what Jesus Christ has done. And we particularly saw last week that uh, the servant was going to act wisely. Uh, that he, with great wisdom, fulfilled and followed God's will, despite the fact that he knew it was going to lead to immense suffering. And yet, his obedience was completely perfect. And you see, I think, a picture of it in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, you get that, um, the mystery of of Jesus' identity. You see his humanity in the one who is God. But in his humanity, as he suffers and as he looks in agony of soul, contemplating what is coming, contemplating what it means to follow the will of God the Father, knowing that it will go to the cross, in his humanity, how much does Jesus know? It's a mystery, isn't it? The one who created the universe is the one who enters into time and space, who has the restrictions, remember, of childhood. Got to learn to read and speak and everything else. And so in the garden, how much in his humanity does he know? As God, does he know all things, and does he know the end from the beginning in that sense? But even if he does, there's a difference between knowing you're going to suffer and actually going through the suffering. And whatever he does know, we know for certain that he knows Isaiah 53. He knows Old Testament scripture, doesn't he? He quotes Isaiah extensively. Uh, And so he knows what is written in chapter 53 of Isaiah, the end of 52. He knows that it is written about him primarily. And he knows that it is all about suffering. I mean, the words, appearance, disfigured, form, marred beyond human likeness. You know, it's physical um, suffering, isn't it? Despised, rejected, that suffering. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, verse 3. People hide their their faces. Uh, The picture, isn't it, is given graphically here as we're, we're seeing this evening. And yet how much does he know? He knows here the scripture, doesn't he? And he knows it's him who's going to suffer in this way. And we get so much detail in Isaiah 53. It is incredible, isn't it? But there's a danger for us this evening. There's a temptation to get amazed by the nature of prophecy. When we read the detail and see the fulfillment at the cross, see the fulfillment in the death of Jesus, uh, we are kind of mind-blown at the the fulfillment of prophecy. And we are mind-blown at at the detail. and, And we say... It's amazing, isn't it? This is predicted six, seven hundred years before. Look at the detail and then Jesus fulfills it. And our amazement and our kind of mind-blown status is focused upon something that is cool because prophecy coming true is kind of cool. But we're missing Jesus. (laughs) We're getting our mind-blown by by someone fulfilling what's written six or seven hundred years before. But it's Jesus that's more important. It's the Jesus to whom this is writing about, the Jesus who is fulfilling that. That is what should blow our minds. That is what is amazing about the passage. And the passage is amazing. The prophecy is amazing. The nature of it is amazing. The time span is amazing. The detail is amazing. But it's not as amazing as the fact that Jesus actually does it for us. He suffers in this way and he goes to the cross And so they can be a danger. I see it all the time with with boys in prison because a lot of them are kind of conspiracy theorists and they love kind of, you know, predictions and prophecy. They love all that kind of things. And if they are Christians in prison, I get asked more about Revelation or Daniel or some kind of obscure uh, minor prophet quote than anything else. And it's like, yeah, that is cool. Prophecy being fulfilled is cool. And it's amazing that God does that. But it's all about Jesus. And this passage is all about Jesus. We've got to remember whom the passage speaks. It's him. Well, that's my kind of rant over to get us into the mood. But, but I mean, it's a great passage, isn't it? I mean, in Act Eight, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the passage. Who is it about? Is his question. Well, as Philip says, this is, this is Jesus has fulfilled this. About whom is it speaking? And that's the point. It's about Jesus. Now what? What's the passage really all about? I've got a, a friend. Uh, he's Christian, close to West Cross, uh, or Bethany West Cross, where um, James Scott is now. Uh, Mike Leaves used to be, Andrew Bowden, and uh, Andrew Bowen, and uh, 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 there's a, an elder there, not very well, but um, he used to take us for uh, me and a few others for a charity golf match every year in Klein, and uh, uh, we'd get there. And uh, they'd be like a charity T-shirts, ten pounds, fifteen pounds, money for the charity. And you say, don't worry, I've got it covered. So, Great, I love large. And then you go, bacon roll and coffees all round. Don't worry, I've got it covered. Great. And then uh, we play. Don't worry, it's all painful. I've got it covered. Then we come in. Whatever you want to drink, we will get. Food, choose your food. Don't worry, choose whatever you want. I've got it covered. Great. Wonderful. A free day, but it's not free, is it? Free for me, free for the others, but but not for Clive. Clive is paying the price. Price has got to be paid. If you're going to go through this, if you're going to have this, these, as far as I'm concerned, golf is a blessing, I know it's a curse to some, but for me it's lovely, the food and everything else. But he's got it covered. This passage, this chapter really, It's showing us, isn't it, that God does not sweep things under the carpet. There's a price to be paid for our sin. We can't do a runner with God. can't do a runner away from our sin. We can't escape God. Our sins need to be atoned for. Our sins need to be dealt with. They need to be punished. They need to, justice needs to be, to come. They need to be covered what is Jesus saying on the cross? He says it's finished. What's he, what's he saying? I've got it covered. I've got it covered for you. That's what he does at the cross. That's what the servant does as he suffers. He's got it covered. Now, Why is that so important for us? Well, because, and this is the first point, sheep are dumb. Verse 6. Sheep are dumb. We, all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Uh, we live uh, right by Lecher Estuary. I mean, literally right by Lecher uh, So we, one of the lanes for the kind of walks on Lecher Estuary is next to our garden. And um, especially during lockdown, people would say, you know, you are blessed to live where you do. And it was because we could walk somewhere every day. It's great. We still do. But when we're walking along the estuary, now I'm going to divide the congregation here straight away. When we walk in, in the, uh, along the estuary, uh, there are lots of dog owners. This is where I'm going to divide you between dog lovers and, and the rest. Uh, but you hear the conversation, and if you're a dog owner, or if you know and ever walk with people are only dogs, you can hear that my dog's so intelligent. They understand everything. I really... Sorry, but I really want to say, don't write poetry though, do they? They don't do art. Anyway, that's, you can see where I'm coming from. Right, anyway, but they talk about their dogs being so intelligent. You never hear a farmer saying, my sheep are so intelligent. (laughs) I mean, they're just not, are they? Sheep are known as being dumb. They are dumb animals, and you see it, if you ever kind of, years ago, I used to have to go to Aberystwyth every Tuesday with work and, you know, to kind of, get rid of the monotony of the journey. You kind of go on every different journey and route that you can possibly go to bring some variety. And, you know, you go some of the back roads the days before sat-nav, and all of a sudden you come, ah, no, there's the sheep being moved from one field to another. And one sheep would run off, and the rest would try and follow. Why? Because they're done. They follow suit. Straight into the danger zone of a car coming and all that kind of thing. Apparently in slaughterhouses, I'm sorry to say this, hope you've had your tea, uh, but in slaughterhouses, often slaughterhouses will train what they call a Judas sheep. One sheep that they train up to lead the others to their death. So the Judas sheep kind of leads them and they all follow this this sheep, all the rest are dumb, but they lead. And the, the Judas sheep escapes into a kind of a hatch whilst the others go to their doom. He's got the wrong name, hasn't he? Really. I mean, I know he's leading others to the death, but I think he's got the wrong name, but, but sheep are dumb animals. They just follow and we all, verse four, uh, six, like sheep have gone astray. All of us have followed Adam. He's led and we followed and there's no escape hatch. Yes, we have a, a sinful nature. Yes, that is what Adam gives us. But we follow his example as well by the way that we live, by the way that we speak, the way we think, and everything else. We rush in like dumb sheep. And so often we get it wrong about Jesus. Look at verse 4 Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him. Punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. What's that really all about? We considered him punished by God. See, we, the world says, the world looks at the cross and says, it's failure. It's just another Roman execution. This Messiah, the Christ, has failed. We considered him punished by God. If you were put on a tree, hang on a tree, you were cursed by God. That was the picture of it, stricken by Him and afflicted. So the world says it's just another execution, it's just another death, it's failure. We get it wrong. The world does. But the second thing I want to say is this: we like sheep go astray, as sheep would demand Well, the second thing is, look at that lamb. Verse 5, but that's a great word, isn't it? But this isn't a failure. This is immense, eternal success. But he was pierced for our transgressions, this purpose here. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brings us peace was put on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Why? Because we're like sheep we've got astray. We're dumb animals. But the first six ends, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See what he's saying? He's saying, look at that lamb. He is led like a lamb to the slaughter. And and we use that as a common expression today. We, We normally say to someone, don't we? You know, he's somebody in the office or something and and you know he hasn't hit his sales figures or something and, and you've heard rumors and he hasn't. And, and you can see the steam coming out of the boss's ear and he gets called in and he, he skips in because he thinks he's getting promotion. And everyone else knows and everyone else is kind of, you know, straining to see through the little window in the, in the boss's office. Why? He's been led like a lamb to the slaughter. In other words, he's not seeing what's coming. He wouldn't be skipping in if he knew what was coming. Clueless to their fate. And that's what a lamb to the slaughter is normally like. Clueless. Nobody willingly goes as a lamb to the slaughter. You know your boss is going to sack you. You avoid eye contact. And you kind of keep your head down and stay on the phone so we can't get your attention. We avoid it. That's what death is like for us. Ultimately, how does the poet from the Cardoma Coffee Shop put it? Do not go gentle into that good night. I feel like I should put Richard Burton's kind of voice on when he's saying, "Old age should burn and rave at close of day, rage, rage against the dying of the night, or of the light rather." That's the world, isn't it? Rage against it. Avoid it at all costs. Jesus knows what's coming and he goes. He knows Isaiah 53, and yet he goes. He knows what it is to be willing to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. So the third thing we see is, and it's a question really, because this passage helps us with a question, who put Jesus on the cross? I mean, literally, it was the Roman soldiers, wasn't it? They put Jesus on the cross, but Actually, it was the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. They were the ones who stood up the crowd, got Barabbas freed and put Jesus on trial and, and then Jesus crucified. So you could say it's the Roman leader, uh, the Jewish leaders. You could say it's the Jewish mob, the crowd. I mean, who's to blame? Is it the sin of the world? Well, look at verse 13. Verse 12. There's no verse 13 on the, I've put verse 13. Uh, he's uh, the sin of the world, the sin of many. He bore the sin of many, verse 12, and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus came to pay the ransom for many, didn't he? What's Jesus doing? Who put Jesus on the cross? Well, the answer is we did. All of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, we put him on the cross. And yet this verse of this passage tells us that someone else put Christ on the cross. Verse six, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Jesus is fulfilling, isn't he, that first uh, proclamation of the gospel, the first uh, proclamation of good news there in Genesis 3.15, in the midst of judgment upon Adam and upon Eve and upon mankind and upon, of course, the serpent. As the judgment comes, one is going to crush the head of the serpent. But in doing so, we'll have his heel crushed, his heel bruised. This is it. This is where it's pointing to. And Jesus comes and fulfills that. And it is the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. You see, don't you hear, the justice of God. Justice means that everything has to be covered over. That the price has got to be paid. You know, when it's us, when something's happened to us and we're the victim, we all of a sudden get very interested in justice. When I was 13 or 14, I had my bike stolen. I use this illustration a lot. I didn't think it affected me when I was 13 or 14, but I still use the illustration all these years later. But some person stole my bike when I was 13 or 14, and we found it, and it was kind of trash. I all of a sudden got very interested in justice. <laughs> Why? Because I'd been affected. I was a victim. Actually, it was vengeance, really, I got more interested in. But, but you get interested in justice. And we want justice, don't we, when we're the victims? But what if it's one of our loved ones who's guilty of the crime? Then, well well, we want justice to be done, but, you know, but if it was us, well, we'd want to sweep it under the carpet. Or if we're guilty, we want to be overlooked. We're not so interested in, in justice, are we? I, um, coming home from prison Monday, had to go through a red light. I did have to go through a red light because there was an ambulance coming behind me. And the only way to get through was to go through a red light and a car flashed me. I've got to remember for where for ticket comes. Remember for ticket comes, I was getting out the way of an ambulance i got my excuse ready. But if I just run a red light, I don't want justice to be done. I want to get away with it. You see the justice of God at the cross. Justice is so important. Our sin, like sheep, because we've gone astray, is so vile against God that he is willing in his justice not to let his son go free, but to punish his son, to crush his son, to lay our iniquity upon him for Jesus to say, I've got it covered so that God's justice will be satisfied. That is real justice. He's not even willing to let his son go free. Imagine being a judge and seeing your son in the dock or your daughter in the dock. You want to set them free. But that's not what God does. And we see the grace of God here, and we see the love of God here. We see the obedience of the servant, servant, and we see here the God who saves us. God, the Son, willingly being pierced for our sins. God, the Son, taking the punishment that you and I deserve. God, the Son, being wounded so that we are healed. Us like willful, disobedient sheep, and God, the Son, is the lamb to the slaughter and not us. And that's why we worship him tonight, isn't it? Because this is what God is like. He's gracious, loving, kind, generous, merciful. And I wonder how you picture God in your mind. The world sees God, doesn't it, as some kind of Father Christmas-looking character with white robes, with a harp, sitting on a cloud. That's how the world pictures God. Do you know how you and I should picture God? Hanging on a cross for our sins. Being punished so that you and I can be with him and like him. And we see here the the, uh, the success finally of the suffering servant. Uh, We touched on it last week. We see his uh, exaltation at the end. Why? Because he is a successful servant. Of all the things the servant does as he suffers, and all the things that we've seen him in the past few weeks, we see that this servant is successful. Look at his success in verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, resurrection, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, divide the spoils with the strong, Because he poured out his life unto death, numbered with the transgressions, he bore the sin of many. It's great, isn't it? How many people do you want to come in on Sunday? You want many. There's no limit to that, is there? It's not like a a small number. We know it's a big number. But there's kind of no limit, is there? Many. What does that mean? It means a lot. How many? Well, how many? We don't know. There's no answer to that, is there, that we can know of. But he's successful. And that's the servant. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah is pointing us to this evening. We have seen that he is gentle and patient in the way that he deals with us. We've seen that he's not weak and inactive. We've seen here again that Jesus is the light of the world. The whole world. That he's vindicated. That he's obedient. He's the servant who suffers for us who acts wisely for us. And of all those things that we've seen these past few weeks over the Lord Jesus, where do we see it most? We see it at the cross where he's gone for us. Knowing that he'd be fulfilling chapters like Isaiah 53. Knowing what was coming. But knowing as well that he will justify many. Us, tonight. Justified, set free dealt with. What's he done? He's got it covered.